Obviously, what's happened is that a whole bunch of crocodiles have got access to the internet and are downloading stuff that they shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> they're, do- they're downloading babies now. I mean, what next? <laughs> Thank goodness the tennis is over. I mean, I hardly know anybody that plays tennis anymore except Djokovic. And, you know, all of the names were new to me. And it seems that Kate Court is a little slower than the rest. Anyway, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad to know that you know Djokovic yeah. vicariously. You know, this is. Well, he is the GOAT. Yes, no, no, he is, yeah. He is now the illustrious title of the GOAT. I know a dirty joke about No, okay, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Why everybody fights for this title, God knows. Yeah, it's got a bad name, GOAT. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Cohen. I'm the editor of Business Maverick. I'm talking with Mark Barnes, who is a investment banker, as we usually do on Tuesdays, about things in the week. And we sometimes take your suggestions. So please do let us know what you want us to talk about. Not that we're particular experts on any particular topic. However, that doesn't stop us. We just blunder ahead. Yeah. And talking about blundering ahead, what do you make of Ace Magashula getting kicked out of the ANC? <laughs> it's out in the cold, I'm afraid. I mean, it puts a new definition on the word homeless. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, I, uh, I just think it's going to end in nothing much. It's been the trouble with these events, okay, these defining events in our country, be they, you know, accusations politically or otherwise, is that that starts a process. It tends not to finish one. So I'm sure we're going to hear an appeal this and an approach that and a rejig this and that, because that's what we do. I'm surprised we haven't called together a task force to think about his response. So let's leave it where it belongs, behind us. I mean, you, you don't want to be churlish about this, right? I mean, it's good that he's been booted out of the party. He's been sort of like, you know, in the kind of shady zone, mm. <laughs> you know, for two decades. Yeah. So it's a plus that he's out. But one does see a distinct lack of, you know, orange overalls in this whole process, yeah. which is a little disturbing. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. But anyway, onwards. So everybody this time last year was miserable and said we were going to have an international global recession and there was going to be blood in the streets. And now it turns out that actually it's fine. Well, it's not fine. It's South Africa. But I mean, internationally... The S&P 500 is now on the verges of a bull run. What do you make of this? You know, we can't blame it this time on uh, cheap money from the Fed because the Fed is not giving us any cheap money. What's happening here, do you think? Well, I think it's very sector-specific in its analysis, okay? And I think that the latest impending bull run, if I might call it that, is, is all about technology. And it's all about, you know... The economics of technology and the economics of individual, you know, client economics that they, that you can extract. And it might even be generated by AI, you know. I mean, I don't know what's behind this thing, but it could be algorithms this time, couldn't it, Tim? It could be, in fact, you don't even know if you're speaking to me as we sit here, okay? Generative AI, it would seem to me that generative AI is a far more powerful force than I initially gave it credit for. So, yeah, I think the markets are reacting, but there's no fundamental foundation, and maybe there never will be again to market value. Okay, we've moved away from fundamental analysis, digging things out of the ground and selling them or building things or constructing stuff to rapidly evolving crowd behavior driven by stuff in the ether. I think it's got thin legs. 
I mean, it is interesting, even if AI isn't the force behind it, certainly investment in AI is a significant part of at least the American stock markets run. The, you know, the bulls have got something to latch onto again. I don't know whether you've been following this, but there's this company that makes computer chips called NVIDIA. Yes. And actually, weirdly, their chips are particularly apposite for AI. And they have just exploded along with a whole bunch of other, you know, sort of AI-related companies. So if you look at the S&P, actually, the growth is only in, you know, a handful of companies, maybe six. But their growth has been so powerful, it's lifting the whole market. Yeah, and I think that's, that's potentially the danger. I mean... What I always like to try and find out is where are the banks funding? You know, where's the real economy, if I might still call it that? Maybe this is the real economy now, okay? And there's no underlying real economy. There's just, we just play in the ether. We make up things in the ether. We put on, you know, a 3D thing and we don't have to build a house. We can just make one in our heads. I don't know. But banks aren't lending money to long-term industrial development projects, okay? They're lending money and financing quick starts and quick finishes and quick action. Yeah. And I think that's got some underlying threats in it, which we have not yet, because as quickly as this stuff explodes, it explodes. And South Africa, GDP sort of came out, you know, a positive last week, which is a big relief. Extraordinarily, we had a day of no load shedding. Wow. <laughs> Are your spirits lifting a little bit? Yeah, they are, but they're not without suspicion. You know, the other day I had load shedding and no water. And then when they both come on, we almost found people in my suburb dancing in the streets because we had electricity and water at the same time. At the same time? <laughs> at the same time. Oh, God. I say there's a huge difference to, to most of our population who don't have either most of the time. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's the first problem. But it's curious to me two things. One, everything seems to be going swimmingly. And yet we're bumming electricity from our neighbors. Who would have ever thought that we'd be going to our neighbors to bum a bit of electricity like we're doing with Mozambique? And I'm curious, Tim, we were stage sixing along very happily, and then we suddenly stage three. Yes. What happened? Are we burning more coal? Have we decided to, is this political? Is this economic? Is it, is it alternative energy? Is it all? I don't know why. I know it's happening. But I'm a little bit cautious about accepting it. Yeah. As a new I mean, I, one of our sort of national sayings, you know, that's that saying a bootmarker blunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, in a sense, this is the South African way. It's actually the way, it's not only our way, it's the way of so many countries that are, you know, poor and struggling. Yeah. You know, you just try and find a way. Yeah. And, you know, it is extraordinary how many private solar operations there are in the country now. You know, maybe that's just taking the pressure off a little bit. It allows them time to do the upgrading work that they need to do. Private sector is getting on with it, eh? Uh, you know, and so I think I, th- I think there's a bit of that. But I'm not yet convinced. I'm cautious. Yeah. I mean, apparently one of the things is that the upgrading schedule, they never do that over winter because they know there's high demand. Yeah. So it's yeah. possible that there's just no- none of the, the power stations are being taken offline in order to do some recuperation work. Anyway, on the subject of business, one of the other interesting things of this past week was the the announcement of Business for SA, you know, initiating a whole bunch of work plans with government around kind of specific issues like security and electricity, logistics, and so on. It was quite a big announcement. There's some goodwill between government and business. What happened during COVID was that they they did demonstrate that they were able to cooperate. And this is an extension of that initiative. Lots of the same people are involved 
Martin Kingston and so on. So um, I don't mean to be cynical. And I do really wish them the greatest luck in the world. And I'm so glad that they're doing it. I just have the sneaking suspicion that we need a more fundamental change in actual government policy than simply a kind of process of working together. Yeah, I mean, necessity is the mother of goodwill. Okay. Yes. And so I, <laughs> I think two things. One, I think primal need is coming to the fore. You know, we've got beyond nice to have to have to haves. And that gets the population uneasy and stirring. And so there's a lot of political motivation behind wanting to have done something rather than just dream about something. That's the first point. And so I think we are seeing actual progress at a primal level because it's just absolutely necessary. That's a the second thing is the gathering, it seems to me, is same old, same old. The same old people are getting together as we're getting together 20 years ago and we've created task force and planners and all these kinds of things. I actually think the meeting needs to take place not between the CEOs of listed companies, but between the owners of capital, however they might manifest themselves, both locally and internationally. If you ignore dispassionate, have-choice international capital in your discussions about the future of South Africa, you're marking your own exams. Okay. And so yes. we need to invite dispassionate foreign direct potential investment into a boardroom and say, what would make it happen for you? Because they for real. Okay. And so I wonder that we're talking to yourselves. I worry about that. But of course, I wish them well. And of course, the bridge has to happen. Eventually, we have to have public-private partnerships. However, you wish to find a new way of describing them that's acceptable you know, to both sides, as it were. Yeah. I mean, we in the press got a, got a kind of whisper that government is really seriously thinking about this process of putting all of the SOEs into a s separate company. This is sort of what China does to some extent and what Singapore does in Temasek. What it will mean is the advantage, the theoretical advantages mean that there will be some kind of distance between the government itself and the SOEs. And once again, I think this is a good idea. I think they should do it. But, you know, what you don't want to do is have a kind of reshuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic. There has to be a, a sort of change of attitude about the whole process of um, public-private partnerships. And I'm not sure the party is at that point yet. The case study in business and in market would suggest that this is not a great idea. And why do I say that? You know, we've long ago learned that holding companies that aggregated everything, as we used to do in the good old exchange control days when everyone bought everyone. You know, the banks were all owned by the mining houses and the mining houses were owned by the banks and the breweries and the retailers and all of that sort of thing. And almost without exception, those holding companies traded at a discount to the sum of the underlying parts. Okay. Yep. So, you know, if you look for the commercial example of value, that has failed the test. However, if you look at the cost of capital, and if you look at, if you had the super board, if you will, which oversaw the allocations of capital into our SOEs, that must bring virtue as long as ever, as long as it's comprised of the right independently minded, business-driven decision makers and capital allocators. So it's the structure won't solve the problem. The people who are mandated to infiltrate that structure may solve the problem. Okay, now, the last point I'd make is just because a thing has got a common name like SOE doesn't mean that the expertise profiles of those involved in its composition are, you know, easily transferable. And I think a great mistake we've made in government is that a minister can be a minister of anything. You know, you support one day, police the next day, transport the following day, you know, whatever. And, and that's not true. 
expertise comes from toil, okay, and deep understanding. Yep. And if we aggregate that, we'll get the lowest common denominator, not the highest common possibility. So it's fraught with challenges, but if you pull it off in its purest sense, there are elements of design which could make it work. But I'm cautious about it. I'm a bit cautious about everything, Tim. I don't know, man. Maybe I was going on. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm more cautious about everything at the moment. No one invites me to dinner anymore. I'm getting all alone. Now. No, I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the, the issue is um, really about when you look at these state-owned company structures around the world, really what does bounce out at you is that um, they're actually quite small institutions. Their intention is to get the SOEs out of government hands. You know, that's a, this is one of the sort of underlying intentions of putting them into a kind of separate entity is to push them out, you know, out of the nest and they must go out there and, you know, fight in the real world. For example, I had a look at the, the Chinese state entity sort of grouping. There are some companies there that are wholly owned, but most of them, you know, have sort of between 25 and 40% of government ownership. They're not even the majority owners. And Temasek, for example, this is the, the Singaporean entity. You know, there is a link with the government, but it has a separate board and they have 1,700 investments. <laughs> so, you know, basically they're a private equity company, really, with a, you know, with a vague link to government rather than an SOE in the sense that we think about them. When we make these comparisons, we have to bear in mind the extent of common purpose that prevails in countries like Singapore and India even now, and certainly China. There is an absolutely united, you know, we can discuss the, the version of democracy that prevails there, but there's an absolutely united purpose, it seems to me, in countries like China, which is, you know, I won't try and describe it, but one might think of world domination as a cause, say, <laughs> economically and otherwise. But if you've got that united purpose, and if everyone buys into that purpose, then structure takes a second place yes. to you know, the actions that you, that you are governed by and the choices that you make. If everyone believes the same thing, rightly or wrongly, then structure takes a second place. We cannot solve the fundamental purpose and the economics and other things of this country with structure. We have to solve it with a mindset that has reached an intersection of extraordinary strength between the business and popular principles that come together between a democracy and a, and a necessary, you know, a sustainable economic model. And so I think we need to find common purpose. We need to spend a hell of a lot of time talking about what are we trying to achieve, not playing about with short-term, you know, initiatives that satisfy popular perception. We need to dig deep. You know, if we look at how divided we are at municipalities, and I, I mean, it's another thing, this question of, you know, paying your dues. I want to talk about that just now. If we're so politically divided, there's no structure that can bring virtue to that industry. Yes, yeah. No, I totally agree. You know, you just get a sense that some countries are out there, they are ad idem on the general direction. And in South Africa, a lot of business activity is really, it's like a war zone. You know, it's a war zone bet between people who have the sort of concept of a huge cleavage in society that can only be fixed with war, you know, or some derivation of war. That sensibility, you know, infiltrates politics. It's, it infiltrates the kind of political philosophies of the political class. And until we get past that and start thinking about the country as a whole, you know, what, is, what works for the country as a whole, that means all of us, 
rather than just our supporters or this section or that section, you, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mark. Um, now, I never felt it, but in Joburg, there was a, what do you call it, a tremor or an earthquake? Do you call it an earthquake? What was it like? Where, did you feel it? I did feel it. Um, the earth did move for me, and it's been a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, the earth did move for me, and it was exactly, well, when I looked at my watch, it was 2.39 a.m. on a Sunday. Right. And the first 10 seconds or so were interesting, and the next 10 seconds I was, like, debating, must I run outside? Must I stay in here? <laughs> you know, is this thing going to get worse or better? So what worries me most about tremors is we don't have them. Okay, and now we've got them. And so, right. in my experience, and I've lived a while yeah, in this year, Joburg, but if you look below the surface of Joburg, you will find a good approximation to Emmentaler cheese, okay, which has been <laughs> the very source of our, our wealth. And, and so, if we start shuddering and shaking underneath Joburg, potholes will look like baby stuff for what might come out. <laughs> so, it is a bit of a worry. I don't understand the seismic activity that causes all of this kind of stuff, but yeah, once it's a big bakke geruk, and a big bump. Yes. Yeah. Nature sometimes demonstrates her power. Hey? We nothing. Yep. We nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, in general, South Africa is blessed with a stable exactly. substructure. Yeah. So. A stable everything except business and politics. <laughs> everything <laughs> else in South Africa is stable as you can imagine. We've got the best climate in the world in Johannesburg. We've got predictable everything, predictable everything, except those little things like, you know, politics and business. Other than that, be fine. Well, there are also other problems in the world. Um, you pointed out to me that there was an article in The Economist about American crocodiles being able to reproduce without male involvement, shall we call it. Do you think that we as a gender are losing a little bit of our function here on the planet Earth? I mean, oh, it's deeply, deeply worrying. <laughs> and I think, and I, <laughs> and I think it just might be that crocodiles are way ahead on the woke curve. Okay. Yes. So, so this is yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, this thing of us. So we men have become redundant. Let's face it. Okay. If we can't even be involved in the reproductive process, then what purpose do we have? And I was sometime during the weekend. It was big news that the Le Mans GTE was being led by a pink Porsche driven by a lady. And I think that's that's fun and fabulous. But back to the crocodiles. I don't know how that's possible. It's immaculate conception, right? Or is there stuff in the water, Tim? I don't know. Okay, so we, we do feel threatened by this kind of behavior. I thought we were like the source code, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, what's happened is that there's a, a whole bunch of crocodiles have got access to the internet and are downloading stuff that they shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> they do, they're downloading babies now. I mean, what next? I saw a video. I'm sure it's fake news. I saw a video the other day of eggs within eggs, right? Where chicken eggs were opened and they found another whole egg inside the chicken egg. So, you know what? I'm not sure we can believe almost anything that we read about, but that was in The Economist which is one of my favorite magazines, and they're pretty reliable. So yeah. So, what exactly happens here? Do we have a situation in which we have to decide what came first, the egg or the egg? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah I mean, it's, yeah, no, okay, well, I, it's, just, it's, not, it's not fair. We start with Crocs, the next thing, it's over for us, Tim. It's over. Mm. Well, on that note, let us adjourn until next week. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please do, as I said before, suggest stuff that we should talk about. It's been great fun. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Cheers. 
This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.